Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. What's up, Brian? Hey, hey, Bobby. Here we are, Series 15, Episode 2, Better Together, The Customer Experience. So last week we talked about really partnering in general for tech sellers, and we shared a few stories about the good and the bad. We also talked a little bit about the chicken and the egg and who came first, who's going to partner first, and in general just really told some war stories about partnering, and, and today it's all about the customer and what in our 40-plus years of sales experience customers have told us, and I bet they would tell you if you asked them as well, what is best for the customer as it relates to partnering. Brian, I know you've sold deals direct. I know you've sold deals with partners. I know you've sold vendors' products as a partner. What in general do you think the customer wants most from the partner community? You know, in keeping in theme with the series here, I think the the customer is looking to solve that business challenge, period. Um, and they'd love to have a single throat to choke. I think they all kind of they'll all suggest that that's, that's what they want is they want one person to work with. But I think in, I think part of our job and what we do on a day to day basis is help them understand that there are, there are companies that specialize on certain parts of equations. And at the end of the day, what, what the customer needs is that, is that solution to the business challenge. And the way we accomplish that is through uh, different parts. And it'd be great if it was all one partner, but the fact is, um, there is a lot of value to having uh, a group of partners that can deliver a fantastic solution rather than an average solution. Yeah, you bring up something that really is not going to be talked about this week or next, and that, that is that one throat to choke. And I've used perspective a lot last week when we talked. Man, the perspective changes there too quite a bit because as we came together with Dell, EMC and Dell and, and all of the, the RSA and secure works and all these things came together man you would think and i know michael dell thought so we could solve anything like anything yeah. we were the one throat to choke in it from storage to to end user compute printing you name it we could solve it but you know what changed instantly when i was meeting with customers was we don't want you to have that much control we might have been saying for years we want one throat to choke but now if we give you all of our business we're way too tied into you and mr dell you might take advantage of that situation, right? So you say that, then customers have said that in the past, but man, what about that one partner that shares the wealth with other partners and is the single point of contact, is the throat to choke? That's a pretty powerful statement to be the quote-unquote trusted advisor, but be bringing all the solutions to the customer. For sure. And, and we can think about it on multiple dimensions. If you think about a partner, they could have certain industry alignments. You know, they could... They could work in the energy industry if they're down in Houston. <clears throat> you know, a company like Dell may not be able to. Well, Dell's Dell and Microsoft; those are kind of maybe an exception to the rule. But some very large vendors can't necessarily put together a practice specifically for the energy market or for the financial services market. Um, so, when you when you think about alignment and how you solve the the prospects' challenges to help them become a customer and get them live and successful in solving that business challenge, um, sometimes you got to think, um, 
in different dimensions as well. Like what's, you know, what industry they focus on, what marketplace they focused on. Um, and then that's a great narrative back to the customer to say, yeah, of course we have a professional services arm, or of course we could do this work, but isn't there someone, you know, wouldn't it be more interesting to have a partner that's aligned to your industry and your market segment that's done 20 of these projects versus this group, our group that may be a little bit more generalized. I think you might have uh, scared a bunch of people off there that they just give that business away, Brian. But, you know, I think the net of it and what we want to talk about today is that overall experience for the customer. And then really three topics. You know, I think customers want help. And we're going to talk through how and why they want help. We're going to talk about that if you do what Brian just said, you might lose a little revenue. My services team might not get the work. But what's the greater good for the customer and their overall experience. Last week we talked about, man, if, if you were a systems integrator and you built a SharePoint practice, you know, what would that take? What kind of a heavy lift would that be for your, your company? And then would you really be the best? No experience, no project management, no, no stubbing your toe for the last 10 years on SharePoint projects. I mean, that's a pretty big ask to, to, to come up with. And then finally, we're going to talk about really how do we help each other and how do we help customers? And that's going to be through giving each other leads and we'll dive more into that. And hopefully your ears perked up a little bit, but we're going to talk about customers want help. You may lose revenue, but man, let's give leads and see what happens. So customers want help. The difference between them just wanting help and some of the ways I've seen partners and my peers do it is they want it with value. You know, we don't, and as a consumer today, I don't pay people anything unless I'm getting value from it. Yeah. And uh, I don't have a home phone because my home phone, like many of you listening, probably quit providing you value. And that's why you turned it off. You didn't just keep paying for it because you had a phone. And I think in the IT world, we got a lot of shelfware and a lot of shelf products that aren't doing what they said they would do. And those people that sold those are probably seen as not providing much value. Likewise, if a vendor is partnering with a reseller and that reseller in that chain of sale is providing no value, it's pretty hard to keep using them or providing that quote-unquote markup. I think we've taught customers to try and eliminate the markup or customers have tried to figure out how they can eliminate the markup. But that, that tells me, and I don't know what it tells you, Brian, but it tells me that those are zero-value propositions, right? They, sure have an intermediary that's just passing paper, probably creating more pain for the customer, and they're not getting any value out of it. That's the only reason they would try to cut that markup out. What, as a as a reseller in the past, what did you do to try and provide value both from the vendor to you, your business, and then from your business down to the customer? What were some things you did to tr try and provide value? Well, I, a couple of different things come to mind. I think one is the customer oftentimes wants a seamless experience between partners. So if, if they, let's say they can see the fact that we're not going to have a single throat to choke, or let's say maybe they didn't want that single throat to choke in the first place. Um, they still want continuity in the pursuit cycle. So they want, so me as a reseller, if I was partnering with Microsoft on a deal, and this this is, seems so basic, but my gosh, it's like, it, I, I've been doing this for 20 years and I, I run into it every week, it feels like. <clears throat> there is no transition in handoffs and preparation that goes into partner-to-partner -partner meetings. 
You know, like we walk in and we ask the customer the same 12 questions that have been asked in prior pursuits. So I think to answer your question, Bobby, what, what do I do to help that, that, that partnership? It's by respecting the customer's time and by briefing and getting ready for this meeting um, so that we, we bring a, a, a continuity and a good, valuable conversation to the customer so that they're not constantly questioning the fact that they have to work with a couple different partners. You mean just standing in the lobby catching up right before the meeting doesn't work for you still? I mean, we've only been talking about this for 18 months. It's so great that the uh, it, still, you know, still you hear we hear scenarios all the time where um, listeners will say that like they they heard the the walk into the conference room and they had read some signs on the customers wall lobby about how they value customers and how they value their employees and they comment, ooh. How interesting that our cultures are so aligned. We we too value our employees. We too value our customers, and they, they kind of that is their preparation time. To your point, well, a story that I'll share kind of both ways that I did as a partner and as a as a vendor is I, I truly loved my partners either on both sides, either direction. I really tried to take advantage of them doing what was best for my customers. So. As a reseller or a services integrator for a big vendor, I over-communicated. I, I tried to help make sure they knew everything that was going on, even if I was afraid that it might hurt me just a little bit because I, I do have that level of transparency with both customer and partner. Um, so when I was a Microsoft vendor and helper of the vendor Microsoft, I would tell them when VMware was doing something or some competitive product like Oracle was making headway in the account to help them. Uh, that, that goes a long way, not just on that deal or that customer, but on the other side, when they have an opportunity to give, that loyalty will, will definitely ring true. But on the flip side, when I was a vendor and I would use a partner, I would let that partner do all the heavy lifting. I, I, I created the value that they were going to provide that customer. That customer saw them doing all the hard work. That customer saw them coordinating the meetings, driving the pre-meetings, making sure we were prepared. They did two things, and one of them was very selfish on my side. They were the spear, the point of the spear to the customer, and that's okay because I had a level of trust and loyalty with them, but they did all the work. I was the vendor, and they did all the work. I see people in big companies all the time want to have full control, I'm going to do it. You yeah. just stand on the backside. I'll give you your cut, you know, and they do all the work because they, they're afraid that the trust they, that they know they don't have with that person is a risk to let them talk to the customer alone. So they end up doing twice, four, four, five, six times the amount of work that I would do because I would hold people accountable and let them do the heavy lifting that created value. And that created a great customer experience. Yeah. And I think some people say that's the optimal scenario uh, I think we've all encountered partnerships that they don't carry the same work ethic, maybe, that you do. And I think that's why it's so key. The scenarios we're talking about here are partners that you really trust. You have to find, um, what I always talk about when it comes to our partnerships is you have to find your equal when it comes to those partners. So let's say that in this scenario, you can pick from a number of partners. It's, it is completely worth finding people that shame, sh share your same core values Share your same tenacity, follow up, attention to detail, because Bobby, to your to your point, if you are going to let them do the heavy lifting, you have to make sure that they're they're going to show as well as you do, and add as much value as you do. No doubt, and then there's been times where I use those as coaching opportunities as well to take sure. young, underperforming, up and coming reps and make them 
learn how to be more diligent, more detail oriented, more follow through, all those sorts of things. Um, it, it, it's possible to do both at the same time. Right yeah, there. for sure. Um, and I, I think that the, that value is what customers like to see. And then there's never a question about, am I paying more because partner ABC is involved or not? Um, I get asked a lot, you say you wouldn't cut partners out, but there had to be a time where a customer said, I don't want to buy it through a partner because I know I'm spending more money. And I've, I've been able to respond to that question as well. I'll tell my story, but I'll give you a little hint, Brian. Tell You're going to have to tell us a story where you solved the pricing problem or the customer value problem for your partner. I, my, in my most recent gear at Dell EMC, I had a customer who was adamant they were not going to buy through a partner. And I said, okay, you know it's the exact same price either way. And they're like, well, how's that? And I said, because the price that I'm giving you is the price the partner's going to be giving you as well. And I'm not changing mine, and they're not changing theirs. So it's going to be the same price. And many of you listening may have not had these experiences yet, but as a big vendor, you probably have some pricing control that you're giving to a partner or some pricing control if you go direct. And you as a good steward of the partner and the customer, you can control what's seen both ways. But and at the end of the day, I just had to give the partner some more margin so that the pricing could stay the same, meaning they could probably drop their price down to what I was showing the customer. But that hurt me on the back end. But it did two or three really good things. One, that partner was loyal for life, should be loyal for life. The rep learned uh, a great way to maybe approach the situation when it happened again instead of trying to just tell the customer what they were going to do different or better or more than the other partner. And the customer realized that I wasn't going to just sell out the partner. Um, There's, there's always a need where that customer and that, in that exact example, by the way, that customer needed some services help, like within two or three hours. I can assure you the Dell EMC services team does not move within two or three hours to solve a customer's problem, but guess who was on the ready? That partner was on the ready and it took time and it took repetition, but I guarantee you they'll never buy without using that partner again. Yeah. And had I cut them out, I still would have had to solve all those problems. Mm-hmm. I still would have been the bad guy that had to solve the services issue. I still would have been the single throat to choke, and that means I did all the work. That's not what I want when I'm a rep. Yeah, I, I, I can't say that I've had a similar scenario where uh, the company I've worked for could um, compete directly against a partner or would want to compete against the partner for a problem. Maybe I'm not thinking of the scenario, and maybe I will, but I, I can't think of a scenario. But the the approach that I do, I have worked for companies to where we could also provide those services. We wouldn't try to compete necessarily because, in fact, we'd kind of actually prefer the partner win um, so as, as not to take on too much work internally. But I think the way I've always approached it is being very clear with the partner and the customer what the differentiating factors are. So if it's a partner, again, I bring back up the industry expertise or market segmentation, whatever it is, you know, maybe it's an expertise in a certain spectrum of, of technical capacity or functional capacity. I've, I've been very clear with the customer. This is what they do well. This is what we do well. We're not going to compete against each other. You're going to have to decide kind of what... Um, What's most important to you? Like, what? Where do you? Where are you going to place your bet or your values? And that way, I can feel great about talking to the partner to say, "This is the message that we're going to deliver." You know, I can be very transparent about it. I don't have to feel like I'm having to 
to guard my pricing or guard this or that. I can be very direct about, let's see where the chips fall. I clearly want it to, to fall in the direction of the partner, but they're going to, it's going to be ultimately a customer decision. And, I, and I've seen that go good and bad, but even when it goes bad, let's assume the customer says, I only want one throat to choke. I'm doing yep. the services through the vendor. There is still a way to solve for that and partner and be a good partner. You know, it's work with the services team, have the services team augment that partner yes. services group. You know, they, they, they don't want to do that in every circumstance and that might be hard, but hard is what partnering is. It's not always going to be easy. And if you do work that to where that partner gets to do some of that work, maybe not all of it, but some of it, it'll go miles and miles down the road for future, future engagements, future partnerships and future projects because it's going to create the win-win-win that you're going to try and create now to that we'll jump to part two of this episode and that's like you may lose revenue if you're the partner or the vendor or the reseller any part of that chain and a customer makes some demands you might lose some revenue but i truly do believe you gain so much more and that just that example the the level of loyalty that would bring if you say have candid conversations and say, look, I'm going to let the, ch- the customer decide. I want it to fall in your bucket. But if they choose us, I can't control that. But what I can control is working with my services team and trying to get them to get you involved so that you guys can do the work under us. Yeah. Um, there's that, that's so much better than just you know throwing them the services or taking the services yourself. You gain a lot. Um, and I, I would say I still have relationships that I've gained for doing those types of things. It's a small, in the grand scheme of all you've ever sold, Brian, what would be like losing a third of one deal? Yeah, yeah. In the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. Yeah. As long as I, I you know, the only time I would feel like it was, it, the only time it would frustrate me, again, just being really candid, is if if I was if I was playing, we talked about it in the first episode, if I was playing both the chicken and the egg, and I put a lot of trust in the partner, and I, I played both the chicken and egg here, gave them the deal, brought him in on the deal, whatever the case may be. <clears throat> and it was never followed up or never reciprocated or never, you know, you know what I mean? Like there was nothing, there was no mutual partnership gain. And I think it's why it's so important to, we talk about kind of hitters knowing hitters. It's important to know who those hitters are, who those people that you can trust are. And, and the only way you can do that really is by doing deals with, with one another and partnering with one another. But it, you got to build that short list. It's not everybody that you're connected to on LinkedIn. It's a, there's a much shorter list that um, that I probably look at when it comes to, to trust there. Of course, and I would say I've probably partnered <clears throat> one time with 50 people in my life, and there's a myriad of reasons why I did mm-hmm. these one-hit wonders or these one-off deals, and we never did work together again. Maybe I did it towards the end of my time at Microsoft. Maybe I did it at the end of my time of another career a stop, but – at the end of the day, you're going to have some one-hit wonders. But as you say, if I'm in a job, in a role, in a segment for quite a while, to build the short list of people that I'm going to really bet on with customers, with partners, then then that's obviously ideal. But you still got to be the chicken and the egg at different times and go ahead and stick your neck out and have a little bit of trust. Just work hard to hold them accountable. Make sure you're on the same page and do the best you can. You're not. It's not going to always feel good, as you say, right? Yeah. And let's talk about, let's talk about partners, Bobby, uh, and tech sales lab. So if you've got a friends or 
uh, somebody that you know that's looking in to get uh, to get into tech sales, they don't have a path in because there's not it's not as if there's like a, a degree program or a university you can go to to get into technology sales. So we want to introduce Tech Sales Lab as we've been doing on our previous shows. So Tech Sales Lab from sales enablement training to one-on-one coaching, Tech Sales Lab can meet all of your individual or company needs around sales training. Yeah, Tech Sales Lab is offering Tech Sales Show listeners a way to win. Go to averageistheenemy.com, sign up for the Tech Sales Lab newsletter, and make some referrals of friends that might want to get into tech sales. Tech Sales Lab is doing everything they can to take people with literally zero experience and getting them a job in a tech sales career. This month, they're giving away things like AirPod 2s, the Oculus Go, and Amazon Echoes. For those people that you refer, you'll get double entries into those drawings with a chance to win some pretty cool tech swag. Tech Sales Lab, where tech sellers are made. So we continue on the point about you might lose some revenue. I got to say, you can't do everything well. Even when I was at Dell, we had our strengths and we still had our weaknesses. Everyone's going to have those things. You can't do it well. And we would work hard at times to make sure people weren't involved in the laptop sale or the server sale or the store sale, but they'd still be involved in other stuff. And I, I don't I don't know how everyone sees engaging with partners, but I've said, shared the marriage story a few times. But at the end of the day, it should be a long-term standing relationship that goes on seven days a week, and you guys should be working together collectively and holistically. Um, I've I've tried that, and I've been I've been quote unquote cheated on, and it hurt, and it made it hard to look those partners in the eye and keep doing business with them. But there are also times where I have forgiven and forgotten and moved on past that. Um, you as a company, whatever your company does, you can't do everything well. And for the customer's experience, you should be using experts that can do those things they need very, very well. Brian, is there a time where you think back, uh, whether it was you tried to sell something that you weren't really smart about or you tried to do some services that your company wasn't really good at doing? Uh, I'm sure those early days at Sparkhound, you guys wanted to do anything and everything to grow <laughs> the business. What was, what was a mistake you made where you might have been better off partnering, but you you got blindsided by the need for revenue. So I, I probably don't have a perfect example that aligns to that, Bobby, but I, I have one that's probably more reoccurring than I'd like to admit. Um, I like to I like to be super prepared, if you don't know that already about me, for meetings and our engagement process and everything else. And introducing folks that are outside of my direct team or my extended team uh, presents risk in a deal sometimes. And sometimes, by the way, it's very fruitful. So I will, my inclination, my default mode is to protect the deal, protect the early stage of the deal, drive demand, get the customer excited about the process. And then I'll start to talk about bringing partners in or this and that. The The benefit of that is, of course, I can control the process very early on and measure how realistic a deal is. Can we get it done? Uh, get them excited about it if we can get it done. The downside of that is, of course, that uh, we encounter a time where now the customer is kind of having to repeat some things that they've already talked about. Even though we may do some prep meetings, we could be six meetings along before I'm bringing that partner in. Whereas that partner could have been involved much earlier in the process and um, we would have been in a much different position, right? Like they, we would have had better continuity. They would have learned some things early on. 
they could have brought something to the sales cycle early on. There's so many, so many things that could have been improved by me bringing them on early. And it's really, it's, it's really more selfishness than anything else, right? I want to control the process. I want to control the deal. And that's going to happen. And, and I think we talked about it last week where, um, we're not, we're not saying we're perfect every time and everything we've ever done, but it, it, is better for the customer's overall experience, which yeah. is what this week's episode is about, to say, man, if we can be better together more often in the room, it's going to continue to build trust as you go. But uh, I can see where that would make sense for your sales cycles in the past and maybe currently. But um, the customer would benefit greater than if, if everybody was in the room each time. Now, what has to happen, if swim lanes have to be made, commitments have to be made, and you got to stick to those commitments because I've also seen the flip side where I've tried to do that and talk to a partner and said, I told you not to talk about that thing yet. We'll talk about that next week or we'll next month. Don't bring that up. But they're so laser focused on what they want. They just can't get out of their own way and they're going to talk about it. Um, you have to hold people accountable and keep doing the best you can. Sometimes that's harder than it would be to be alone but sometimes it's better for the customer and better for the overall experience. Now, while I might have lost some revenue, I got to say I've never lost more than I've gained. And I've lost complete deals because of, of my partnering style and, and I let a partner get too much control and they cut me out of the deal. Um, but I can say each one of those have, have paid dividends in one way or another, whether it was through a relationship, it was through a partnership, or it was because the customer saw me for what I was and that was having their best interest at heart. Anytime you've lost, Brian, but also kind of won, any story jump out of your mind? Some that I've lost but kind of won. I would just say it's more of the finding hitters, right? I, um, to go back to the, uh, to the earlier points, um, maybe we both lost the deal. It's not maybe not because of them, but I, in, the, in, the, in the process of that, I've learned how good a presenter or how deep knowledge this person has. Uh, which leads to wins, far, you know, further down the road. So maybe you didn't win. Maybe you did lose some revenue, but you 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 won a new hitter because yeah. you worked well together and you did the right things. So valuable partnerships. So the last section that we talked about was give leads and give lots of leads, right? So we we focus on the customer's experience. We want that we know they want help. We know we might lose some revenue, but we gain more than we lose. And how do we make it a win all the way around? And that's give leads. Uh, and lots of leads. So as a partner, no matter what your role is today, you have the opportunity to introduce other people. You have the opportunity to bring them in earlier. You have the opportunity to help a customer solve a problem that you can't solve with your bag of tricks today at the company you're working for. If everyone was trying to do this and trying to do this legitimately and not like uh, for the greater good for themselves, right? Really doing what was best for the customer, we would all be able to give leads every day. And I am not kidding, every day. What are your thoughts on that, Brian? I, I would say, too, even if you know we're, we're all in the same ecosystem and there have been oftentimes just a rumor of a project going on, what if you were to call, like, what if it wasn't a even a warm introduction, but just to say, hey, I was... Uh, I was thinking about the breakfast we had the other day, and I heard um, that so-and-so may have a project upcoming. Um, I don't have any connections out there, but I've got a LinkedIn connection. Maybe I can hook you up through that. It's just it's showing that you're being thoughtful about the, the partnership and the, and the prospective opportunities between the two of you. One thing that's worked really good for me throughout my career is once I've built a pretty good relationship with a prospect or customer, we're either 
recurring meetings are going well. We got a little bit of transactions happening. We're not where I expect this to be long term, but we're doing some business together. It truly is just asking them who who is your favorite peer, who's your hitter, in yeah. your peer set that may need my help. I mean, there's a reason why we're gaining this momentum together. Who who do you know that I might be able to gain some more momentum with? And customers can give leads. Um, they can make those warm introductions. It's so much easier to work with someone when you have a warm introduction, even if it is a LinkedIn message or a phone call or a text message. It, it, it just makes people want to engage a little bit more when you have that warm introduction. So with that, this week's challenge for me is to go give five leads to other partners. It doesn't have to be someone you're working with right this second. Go find somebody you don't know. Go tell them about that that uh, scenario of a project that might be happening. Do what you can to pass five leads to other partners and see what happens. I think you'll be pretty surprised on just what's going to happen in your inbox when you start sharing those leads. I agree. What if what if a partner had reached out to you off the back of a lunch that you had two weeks ago and they said, uh, hey, was thinking about you. I mean, that would be to me, that would be incredibly thoughtful. Um, so, yeah, that's a great challenge. Well, customers are going to get involved. Partners are going to get involved. And then you're just more opportunity sales going to happen. So it's all been about customer experience. It's been about they want your help. You may lose a little bit of revenue, but you gain so much more and give leads, lots of leads. The challenge, go give five leads to partners. With that, I'll say average is the enemy. Average sucks. Thanks for listening to the TechSales Show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.